Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. What a save from Mark Howard. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Yours Mine Away podcast for episode 5 with me, Mark Howard and pod producer Ben. Please welcome first class goalkeeper coach that's had one of the biggest influences on my career. Help me from the age of 9 to 15, 2 to 3 times a week, come rain or shine, Alex Welsh. Hello Mark, it's great to be here. Welcome to the show, thanks for coming in Alex, I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Previously, Alex has worked at Arsenal and Tottenham Academies on the development of their young goalkeepers and Alex has coached for a, a lot of years. Do you want to say how many? Decades. <laughs> I don't like giving my uh, age away because that's a trade secret. I used to say to the kids, you know, that's not bad for a 39-year-old. I'd knock about 12 years off and they'd say, oh, my dad's younger than you, but he doesn't, doesn't look as old as you. I'd say it's because of all the times I've been in, looking in the sun and said, that's why I've got all these lines. And I laugh a lot, but mostly at my own jokes. That's why I've got all the wrinkles. <laughs> 39. This is where I still get my patter from as well. Alex's jokes obviously had a huge effect on me too, because I still say I'm Peter Pan and I can play forever. And, <laughs> yep, I'm exactly the same. So Alex even helped write the rule book for the coaching, uh, for coaching and the FA going forward. Yeah, you know, around about the 1990s, I was the FA kind co of coaching rep for London. And um, one of the things that we had then was the FA prelim. But it had things like teach the goalkeeper the art of fly hacking because this is before the back pass. And the fly hack was when you came out of the area and you thought, oh, my God, I can't use my hands. I've got to whack it clear. And, uh, and basically they just coached from 2 to 11. And the goalie was just a, a peripheral part of it. So I developed this uh, course with the London FA training goalkeepers because we training goalkeeping coaches because we, we didn't have anything. And uh, at the time, I spoke to the assistant director of coaching in the FA. I said, look, we need to have something. He said, well, we've got this new generation of courses coming out where we had a coaching certificate and coaching license, which became levels two and three. Can you do an equivalent for goalkeeping? And so I did it and piloted it and, and handed over the finding to the FA and it was the start of coach education for the FA because not enough people understand what the goalie is like. And I don't think that's acceptable. And, and I would say that anyone doing their UA for B or UA for A would have to have a goalkeeping qualification first. It's not good enough for them to say that it's not my responsibility. Because the goalie is a part of the team, not apart from the team. Yeah. Which is what some coaches think. think it's someone else's job. And whenever the goalie makes a mistake, everyone on the bench looks at the goalie coach. At that or the sub-goalie, they always go, could he have done better there? It's always the question. And the goalie coach has to either defend their goalie or just play dumb to it. Or say, ask the groundsman because he was coaching the goalie this week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, can we also talk, can we just start off by talking about some of the goalkeepers that you've worked with over the years? Uh, obviously, you've worked with and alongside Bob Wilson, 
the absolute legend that he is. But from a coaching aspect, you worked with Stuart Taylor, Graham Stack, myself, James Shea, James Russell, Daniel Bentley, Reese Charles Cook, Josh Ulawu, uh, Josh Ulawayemi. Is that right? Ulawemi. Ulawemi. And his brother. And his brother. Toby. Uh, to, to name just a few, but you've obviously worked with loads, loads more than that. And no disrespect from my part on not naming those ones, but... Well, yeah, when, when I um, started doing goalkeeping coaching, it was, a, it was in his infancy. And um, you mentioned Bob Wilson, who was the biggest influence on my career. And he ran a goalkeeping school at Trent Park, Middlesex University, and later at Queenswood School in Brookman's Park. And no one had done it like that before. And so he'd run these uh, weekly residential courses. And what Bob did brilliantly was look at the game and said, right, how can I condense that situation into a training scenario and give a concentrated practice so that when the goalie encounters it in the game, you can recognise it and deal with it. And that was just, wow, this is just fantastic. And he, and he, he gave it all different sections like saving on the move, positioning, dealing with a high cross, saving with the feet and all that kind of stuff, which we, we'd never done before. So that was really brilliant to have that in that kind of sequential and logical way because it hadn't been done before. But I meet people in the street or around and they go, you're Alex Welch, aren't you? And I go, yeah, thinking he's from the HMRC or something. <laughs> Sometimes, I <laughs> He said, uh, you were one of my coaches in the late 90s at the Bob Wilson Goalkeeping School. Then they look at the wife and children, make sure they're not listening, they go, best week of my life. And you think, oh my God, it left that impression. And the reason why Bob did that was, that was he rushed from breakfast telly and he would do the session and we're all, there's 120 kids, all the goals are out and it's just brilliant. And he comes and demonstrates, this is what we're going to be doing today, boys and girls, we're going to be doing the imperfect world, saving deflections when you're inside and all that. Anyway, he's demonstrating, and this kid has a goal. And this shot goes in the top corner. And the kid dives, Mrs. Ibra goes in. And the normal reaction is to say, unlucky. He's gone, what a great top hand. You know what? You were millimetres away from that ball. The kid has jumped up, and I've gone, oh, my goodness. What have I just seen? It was just accentuating the positive. But by doing that, and praising the effort, I thought, right, that's going to define me as a coach. And I understood then it wasn't just about the practice. It was how you delivered it that would count. So that was a fantastic influence for me. And when I started working uh, with goalkeepers, it was at the Arsenal in 1987, and he worked with the first team. And I worked with the kids. And basically it was the same voice his voice through my mouth and even now it's the same you know it's that big of an influence because obviously when I came through under yourself from nine to, like I said to 15 it was always what Dave Seaman did and obviously your coaching sessions were amazing because of your enthusiasm your, your, your jokes as well but the fact that you made us learn it as a natural trade the art of being a goalkeeper we did homework you were the first person and the only person I've ever known to give us homework and make us think about our job, not just about enjoying it, but you made us learn that the art of keeping the ball out in it. Yeah, so let's imagine you have a heart attack, Mark, in a few years' time. Do you want an expert doing the surgery? Of course you do. So if there's 60,000 people watching, do you want an expert in goal or a novice? <laughs> so it's really important that they become um, masters of their trade and a, and a real expert. And I used to say to them, look, you know, if you were on Mastermind, would your specialist subject be saving in one-on-one situations? Could you do it? And, and you had to become that. You had to have that knowledge. So it was about empowerment, really, because I always knew that in a few years' time, I wouldn't be there holding your hand when you ran out at Highbury or the Emirates. You'd have to do it yourself, even if it is for Blackpool in the FA Cup. But there you go. Yeah, exactly. You're, 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 you're running out there and... Um, and, and what you've got to do is empower them by giving them the confidence and the self-belief, but also giving them the knowledge and the ability to do it. So at the same time when I started Arsenal, uh, I had met Steve Perryman and Phil Holder on my full badge. And uh, I was playing in the conference at that time and we, we played a midweek game against Brentford. He said, will you come down and coach the goalies? So it was Gary Phillips then, who was now a coach at Palace. 
and then Tony Parks after that, who became a coach at uh, Tottenham and um, Aston Villa and England. And and so when I was working with you, Mark, I knew what the end product looked like. I yeah. knew what the luxury car at the end of the conveyor belt, what the Lamborghini was going to look like. So I had no idea. No, of course you didn't. So what would be the expectations of you as an 11-year-old, as a 13-year-old, as a 15-year-old, and as a 16-year-old? And I knew by the time you got to 16, I couldn't get the ball past you, and I thought, he's ready for the next step. And um, all you're trying to do is help you be the best you can be at that particular time. Because what the coach is, is a developer of potential. You can't attribute, you can't say that, tell me the goal is that you produced. Because that wouldn't be true. You just made a contribution. But you've played a huge part in a lot of people's careers. Huge, like even myself, obviously, I, I, I keep saying it, but you did, you was instrumental, you and my dad really, in terms of making me become the the man that I am and the goalkeeper that I am, especially with yourself, that you played a huge part because you made me want to improve at my job constantly. Even when I wasn't in goal, I was like, what could I do better? What could I think about? And you made me study other goalkeepers and learn my type of goalkeeping, the way I kept the ball out of the net. Is there, is there anything in particular you remember about a young Mark? My mum and dad bringing me to... Right. But the thing that really struck me about Mark and um, and why as a goalie coach you've got to take your A game or as a coach you've got to take your A game every time you come coaching. Mark lived in Croydon, Hayland was in Walthamstow and Mark's brother played for Northampton as a scholar. And to be fair, his mum and dad used to share the duty so they'd go up one week to Northampton and the other week they would watch Mark. But on the days they were up in Northampton... He had to travel across seven London boroughs, maybe a tram, two trains, a bus, breakfast at Sainsbury's, <laughs> then come to Hayley and I'm thinking, my goodness, this boy has travelled all this way. He really wants it and I can't let him down. And so I used to remember those one-on-one sessions down at Hayland where he'd come all that way and would really work hard on what Mark needed to do. And I think what you do when, when you see kids... Too many coaches will go, well, player A over there, you can't do this, you can't do that. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in your super strengths because that's why you're going to get signed. No one says David Beckham was rubbish at heading or tackling. Not they go, what a brilliant free kick expert he was and crossing the ball and his energy and everything else. And you look at people's strengths. And I think that's what I learned from Bob, that you build on what's there already. So for Mark, he had an A-class attitude as well as the God-given talent. And, um, and that's why I love working with him, because he wanted it so much. And I have a saying, sometimes there's no good knocking if there's no one in. And that's why you need to, they need to understand the role. And if you want to know what the future of goalkeeping is like, watch the top guys, because they're the ones who are taking the game on the next level. What we as coaches have got to do is say, well, what does it look like? How can we prepare training and practices to ensure that when they reach that level, they know what they're up against. But it was, I, you know, it was the highlight of my week, I've got to say. They might have had double maths, double science, and probably in Mark's case, double detention <laughs> before training. And I couldn't let them down, you know, and it was the highlight. And then it, it, we just had fun, but it, was, it wasn't just a laugh a minute. It was serious stuff. No, it was. It was really fun, but we were there for a purpose to work hard and to learn. And I, especially I'm like a sponge for stuff. Like that. I, I would just absorb anything you said and your mm. jokes and everything like that going. But the, the snippets of coaching that you'd give us were invaluable for me. And even to this day still play a part. Yeah. And I, and I think what you have to understand is that you can't coaching is a relationship strategy and you've got to build that trust, but it was about developing you as a person and reaching you as a person first before doing the football bits so what we had to instill in you is this insatiable appetite for improvement otherwise you're not making it and um, to de develop your super strengths and then to give you the confidence um, that's going to sustain you all the way through because it's a lonely place being in goal and um, lots of things conspire against you 
And one thing that you need to keep intact is like an internal flame. It's your self-esteem. And that's why we'd always finish a session with a save. Never finished on a goal, do you remember? Yeah, always remember that. Yeah. And I had to leave you at the end to travel back to Croydon, your weary way back to Croydon, feeling better and stronger about yourself than you were at the beginning. And people ask me, you know, they say, well, what's a sign of a good session? And they go, well, you enjoyed it. Not really. What have you done today that's made you a better player? And sometimes you could have been playing rubbish, but you've learned something which is taking you on to the next level. And when you're looking at kids in the academy, yeah, they like people who are friendly and all that, but they want you to make, they want the coaches to make them better. And, uh, and that's our duty. So you were developed as a potential. And, and, and I always just say to the boys, you know, I'll always be your coach. I'm always be there for you, even when you're older. You know, when you're turning to coaching and you want some advice and all that, I'll always be there. Because I'm, that's the that's the thing. It's, it's like a puppy's not just for Christmas. You know, coach is there for a lifetime because yeah. it's... We still call hurts. on you. Obviously, we've still got yeah. a good relationship. You still speak to, obviously, yeah. James Russell, who's uh, at Chelsea at the mm. moment, working with the first team there. So everyone, Graham Stack, he's mm. gone into coaching. Yeah. Stuart Taylor's got his mm. own... There's so many people that have gone on to have successful careers of playing, but have now gone into the coaching aspect. And it is a lot of it's like how the enjoyment we got out of his sessions that we want to pass on that knowledge. So obviously while I'm playing, I think that this podcast is a great way of me educating people mm -hmm. and being that voice that kids can listen to and relate to. And um, I remember back when we used to work together, I would turn up for the outfield players training twice a week and not take my gloves. Do you remember this? So I would deliberately only work as a goalkeeper when I went to Alex's training sessions and I would still turn up to the outfield player sessions and not take any gloves because every time you did that, they just put you in goal and lashed balls at you. You did shooting practice. But I wanted to improve myself as a footballer to be more part of that team instead of the individual that we normally mm. get classed as. I think that's a brilliant, brilliant way of doing it because that's what people do. They, they put the goalie in goal. And there's this myth that finishing practice is goalkeeping practice. But is putting practice around a goal? Of course not. it's not. And so when I'm serving at a goalie, I know the outcome I want. I know what save I'm. I know if I'm going to score or not, usually. But you might be looking for a top-hand save, so you've got to put the ball in place. So when we're training the coaches or goalies, they say, look, poor feeding starves the practice. And I'll say, say that again, and make them repeat it like some kind of Tibetan monk, you know, so it gets in there. And, um, and, and that's what they've got to understand is that the, the goalie coach is there for the player's benefit. And what you're trying to do is to reach certain outcomes so the service becomes really important. But if you're doing a finishing practice, sometimes it's just self-preservation because they're crossing it and volleying it from three or four yards and you're just protecting your scaphoid and everything else that you might... <laughs> just becomes pure instinctive. Yeah, or just, just get out of the way. avoid getting hurt. Or you reach such a stage in your career, go, I'm not going in there. Get some, well, some of them up. Well, obviously, I'm 36 and sometimes now... If it's towards the back end of a week and I know I've got a game on Saturday that's more important than that training session, I won't do those shooting drills anymore no. because I'm like, I need to be at my best, my fittest mm. for the game on Saturday. And the shooting practices, like you said, they're not for us. But, but also there's an overload danger as well because <clears throat> you're up, down, up, down, up, down. And after 36 shots, you know, your technique's gone out the window already. Whereas when we're doing the goalkeeping work, we regulate how hard you're working. And, and often when you got tired out, we'd stop because technique breaks down and we don't want that don't want that happening. But when you're just a cannon fodder in goal, there's no thought f for any of that. And uh, I would just put the mannequin in goal and just say to the coaches, use your imagination. Just hit the corners yeah. or, yeah. Show, show me some innovation where you don't need the goalie. But, but going back to your point about becoming outfield players, there were uh, some coaches who wouldn't want the goalies in the possession practices because it broke down. Well, that's your job. That's, that's, your, that's your job. That, yeah. Why aren't you helping them? And um, I think that's great what you did. I really applauded that and that kind of strength to do that. But I think when you, when you get to your age, or even younger than that, when you get to your 30 or late 20s, you know what you need to get the best out of you. So it's this kind of agreement between you and the coach. It's not the coach proving how brilliant they are. 
because Parks used to say to me, when you were coaching the kids, you were teaching them stuff. But when you were working with the first team goalies, you were training them. There There's is a, a difference. difference. Of course there is. And it's not the same. And uh, none of us have the magic recipe. I know, obviously, from my past experience, but I like to build towards the, the next team that I play in the opposition. So whatever we're coming up against on a Saturday, if they cross the ball more, that's what we work on during the week. And that sort of relationship that you have with your goalie coach is so important that you're like, I need this from this week to get me in the best position to play at my optimum mm. on a Saturday. How do you think coaching's changed for, goal for goalkeepers? Well, I think we've got more specialists. When I started, uh, you did it once a week. You're like a window cleaner, you know, and you'd come and... And sometimes with the, uh, in the first years, the Centre of Excellence at Arsenal was called then. You had all the goalies from 9 to 16. And, of course, they all got differing needs. And uh, so it was difficult doing sessions where you were dealing with people who were in the kind of, in the, in the same level of practice and the intensity. So what I did was I made sure that we had separate sessions in, in age bands where the experience and abilities and the capabilities were um, sim very similar and then you could go on and do that. And what I used to say to the boys is say, look, this is what's on the menu tonight, boys. That's what you used to say. That was his <laughs> because way of describing who goes training. in a restaurant and says, serve me any old muck, I don't mind what you're giving me, you know, and this is what you're going to have to start with and this is going to be your main course and if you're a good good boy, this will be your dessert. <laughs> and um, and then next week, because I had the syllabus all lined up, you know, based on Bob's philosophy and everything else, and it's in my books, um, what they would be thinking about next. So they'll go away thinking about next week's session. And the, and the words they used to always say, I remember I explained what we're doing. Yes! Like, this is the favourite bit. You know, I just loved knowing that because coaching isn't a magical mystery tour. You know, if I want to go to Preston, I just don't get my car and drive north and hope I get there. If learning is a journey, coaching is the map. And what we need to do is to ensure that people don't get lost without driving the car for them, if you know what I mean. Is there any drills that stick in your head from the, from the old days, Mark? It's so hard to say because there was that many sessions that we used to do, but I think we've touched on it before that... I used to just love diving around uh, and anything that was revolving around the, the magical D that we, mm. the arc around the goal, I used to love because it was all about getting your timing, your positioning and, and your head had to be perfectly still. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest things that I still, I make sure the young goalies now, as long as their head is up and they're looking at the ball, they will be in a better position to make a save. So all of this turning and touching the post, I still go back to, I just want to keep my eyes on the ball because that's the only thing that is the most important thing in my life right then. I think that's underestimated. There's, there's three things. It's the head, hands and feet. And um, you've got to get those fundamentals right because at the end of the day, you either make a mistake because of a technical flaw, so you want to be really technically sound, a poor decision, so you get involved in lots of situations where you're having to assess and make, and make good decisions, or a poor attitude, which is not tolerated, yeah. you know. How would you tolerate a bad attitude? From God, I don't know the answer to that. It just didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't know either. We, we just wouldn't be tolerated. You drive your own standards. I've always found that if, if someone else around me has got a bad attitude in training, I try and get them going because they're ultimately affecting me doing my job. So it's, it's not just about the coach. It's about the environment that you've made. And with that, you set a standard that that can't happen. And that was one of the biggest things. And still, like, we drive our own standards. You are there to make yourself better. So a bad attitude shouldn't affect anybody else. You should just, I normally tell them where to go, to be honest, or drag them with me to what I want to do. Yeah, it's the culture, you see. So the culture is, today, I'm going to leave a better player. So I've got to bring my A game. So as the coach, you're thinking, well, I've got to be on top of my game as well. I can't let them down. And sometimes I would say to them, look, if you've not understood, it's because I've not explained it. Can I go through that again, maybe in a different way to help you understand? 
Um, so we never really accepted not giving your best. That was not even there. You know, you always had to give your best. And I used to say to them, there's when no hiding place in goal. Sorry, Alex, no. but there's no hiding place in goal. No. So when you're doing a training session as an outfielder, you can literally bobble about, not get on the ball. But as a goalkeeper, you're so isolated when you are training or playing that if you've got a bad attitude, it's really obvious. I used to say, look, we go outside the hail end now. There's a bus stop and I could pay any of them 10 quid to die for that ball and you wouldn't go for it, you know, and... And so they had to they had to go for all shots. And when he used to leave a session, I'd say, look, you know, there's a couple of things that you need to remember. Um, the first is be nice to your mum. He always used to say that. And the mums would go with a big thumb. You know, <laughs> and then I'd say, and keep your room tidy. And they'd go, oh, no chance. But it was about them being humble, you see, and, and, and being grateful for what mum and dad and whoever else or the granddads who had brought them training and appreciating that, but also staying grounded and not getting too ahead of themselves. And like Mark says, in goal, there's no hiding place. It's a tightrope without a safety net. A player can make a mistake and, you know, it might be a centre forward and misses a target. It's unlucky. A midfield player could lose a ball and we could recover it, centre back likewise. But when the goalie makes a mistake, it's an individual sport then. Yeah, that's and, when it, we get the fingers pointed at us. And the goalie gets the goalie gets a plane. But in theory, really, if a goalie has a shot to make, that means that 10 other people have failed because the crosses come in and shots come in. But people don't see it like that. So what you have to do with the, the goalkeeper is develop this um, really strong mentality that can cope with that pressure. And right from the early days, what we try and do when you're in an academy, it can be quite stressful because yeah. you're under pressure all the time. You, you, you're living as a kid trying to get through your education at school, but you've got a one- or two-year contract in an academy. So you, you know that your next game could be your last. And if you don't leave a good enough impression, it's, you are judged on matches, not just training. And no matter how much a coach can have input in training, you're ultimately you're there to do your job on a Saturday. And if you don't do it, that's when you come unstuck. And, and this is where, you know, there is this sea of stress in an academy. What we provided was stress-free islands. So you'd come training with me. King of the one-liners. <laughs> you'd come with me and it would be about bigging you up because for the rest of the week you'd get hammered. And sometimes the game isn't a true test because as a goalie, you're playing for Arsenal, you have a back pass, two goal kicks, and you kick one of them off, you haven't had a shot all game, you're rubbish. And that's Where, what people remember is the one yeah. that you've kicked out of play and you've yeah. done Whereas the other goalie... He's had like 20 saves, but made a couple of real fundamental technical errors. But he's had a great game because he kept the score down. But you've been hopeless, gone play for about his rubbish, you know. And 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 that's and that's how they do it. They they don't seem to have the perspective that this boy is 11 years old. I remember one scout saying, "I've got this eight-year-old," but he didn't talk very much. Uh, so boy, it's eight years old. Please get a life, you know. You need to have that perspective and say, look, this kid's eight. What are the expe expectations of an eight-year-old? And I remember a brilliant session done by Steve Highway who talked about categorising the various phases. And he said, between eight and ten, it's the age of fun, where you're learning through fun, and it's the fundamentals. Then ten to twelve was the age of technical mastery, where we get hands leading and all of hands that. Hands leading. And then thirteen and fourteen was the age of tactical awareness where you knew what your role was in the team. And then 15 to 16 was the age of competitive play where results mattered. So what you were trying to do was to place the goalie where he would be in that continuum. And so you would have these expectations of what you would expect from your goalie if they were gonna, they're going to go on to the next contract. But that was... I remember now, obviously, now you're saying stuff like that, that of the hands leading shout and all those, like the, the great one-liners. But it was at 15, 16, you was telling us to target the person ahead of you. Always target the goalkeeper that's in the age group above you. And that's the one that you should be tracking down, really. And then once you've done that, go for the one above that. And yeah. that stayed with me, especially through that age group going up to when I signed a pro at 19. 
even I knew I was nowhere near the standard to play in Arsenal's first team, but I always thought, well, I've got to watch what Jens is doing, and I've got to try and compete with that. Mm. And and it wasn't it wasn't my job to decide whether you were good enough. My job was to develop potential to the fullest, and uh, to leave an indelible mark on you for the good. You know, whether it was as a person, as a, as a goalie, and all those lessons. And we used to talk about hands leading, which was just a hand shape, first hand behind, second hand on top, uh, for when the balls go away. And so, how could I, how could I get this really ingrained in the boy's mind? So I came up with this fictitious character called Hans Leading. So not, it's not a German goalie. It was Dutch actually. <laughs> and so I'd build this story around Hans Leading, you know. And he said, "Oh yeah, who do you play for? PSV." And then the, the kids used to have. Arguments about how many caps you got from Holland. <laughs> this is true. This is all true. Oh, 76. I said, yeah, no, it's 76. You'll find. You don't remember me, big sideburns and all that. And then <laughs> the internet came and uh, some of the kids, oh, I was looking for Hans Leading online. I couldn't find him. I said, well, he, he played before the internet. I said, that's why you won't find him. But um, everyone remembered what Hans Leading was. And it was uh, basically leading with the hands so that you landed on the soft bits of your body on your shoulders. And on, and on your side, so you wouldn't jar the ball out. Now, I could have come with a, a couple of paragraphs of technical spiel there, but Hans Leading did it. It worked, it worked, and it stayed with everyone. And then shock absorbers with your hands, you know, just take the pace off him. And, 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 and you just try and get these things ingrained in there or the, instill these really good habits, because at the end of the day, I used to say to them, look, at the highest level, if you haven't got really flawless technique, you'll get found out. And you will find your level, like like you've said, and um, you've been around the, the game a lot, and you've you've had that experience. And I think for me, the the biggest criticism I would make of uh, young goalies is we don't get we don't road test them early enough. So they do this wonderful education. I say to the the guys at it's at Arsenal and Tottenham, look, this is a university of coaching football. You used to say this. I I still say this motto. Yeah, and it, but now you've got to go and get a job. And uh, you've got to test this Lamborghini because we've produced this Lamborghini on the conveyor belt. We've seen it going along, but no one's driven it yet. And he's having to wait till he's 24 before he drives. It's too late then. You've got to go out there and test yourself in games where the result matters. But do you think that's a, a lot of goalkeepers now are a victim of the big clubs where they are brought through the academies, turn pro, and then they're training goalkeepers for years and years? where oh, even when I came through, the first thing I asked to do when I signed pro is, when can I go out on loan? When can I go and learn my trade? If, if you look at the guys who are currently in the England frame, there's only one of them who played for the club where he went through the academy. Jordan Pickford, he made his debut for Sunderland under David yep. Moyes. I think it was at Southampton. But he'd have been out on loan to Preston. Oh, he went that. everywhere. He'd been he everywhere. Went, what he did was he went out to Afrington, Ilkeston and all yep. Darlington, all the non-league stuff. So what he was doing was gradually um, testing himself in the same way that Aaron Ramsdale with, with Chesterfield, AFC, then Bournemouth, then Sheffield United. And now he's ready for the Arsenal and the England thing. So what he has done, he has, at each of those phases, exposed himself to another level of pressure because you know mark when you're when you're playing at the, the professional game you can do all the stuff the catching in the cross the playing out the saves but can you handle the pressure and it's the mentality thing which is the hardest thing yeah i've said on here before that the biggest eye-opener for me was when i was involved in mark kieran's testimonial and playing at Highbury in front of 39,000 people. I just wanted more of it. That was the, the first time I'd ever experienced a full attendance, mm. and I wanted more. It, it made me crave it. Where If you don't ever have that kind of an experience, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah, and it's what you dream about as a, as a kid, you know, running out in front of a full stadium. But that, And that's what we're trying to prepare you for, that kind of pressure. That's why I think... Um, Things like being positive all the time, being enthusiastic, being energetic, as you said, so you energise the people around you, you raise everyone's standard. And then the other big E word is the empowerment. So as a coach, you don't want the player to be dependent on you. 
for every single thing. You want them to develop the wings to fly themselves. And that's really important that as a coach, you understand that you want them to go and do it. And, and the good coach isn't there when the players are doing well, claiming all the credit. They're there when the player's struggling and they need someone to protect them. Pick them back up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you asked me about goalies earlier. Well, the other one that was Emma Byrne, of course. And um, she was the Arsenal ladies goalie. And uh, she used to creep in for training when we trained at Highbury. Emma remember? used to come and train with me, Graham Stack, Michael Jordan at the yeah. time. And so Emma was playing for Arsenal ladies at the time and Republic of Ireland. Yeah. And she was incredible. And like we used to compete against her. And it, the standards that she would set and the drive that she had, even stuff like that rubbed off on a, a young kid like himself. Yeah, and she'd come over to Hale End as well, and um, she was fantastic. And she was inducted in the Irish FA Hall of Fame. First goalie, head of Packy Bonner and Shay Given and all of them. She was the first one. No way. Yeah. So she, and so you could learn from her because what she had had was a Gaelic football background, and she was so balletic in her movements and great spring. And I think a lot of the uh, players were inspired by that because you look at people around you and go, he does that well. Um, I can I can put that in my game. And I remember when I was uh, starting the coaching on a Wednesday, on their day off, I'd have Perry Suckling, Paul Heald and Tony Parks all come over to Douglas Air for a session. And uh, they realised that, you know, Bob had this phrase, goalies are the greatest of rivals but the best of friends. And what you do, you think, Oh, I can't let myself down here. The first motivation when you walk on the pitch is not to be useless. Yeah, yeah. that's what drives you because you don't want to you don't want to look an idiot, and then you want for better things after that. But they would come, and the standard was just brilliant on their day off, and it was wonderful. But I had to be on my A game because if I misserved one, Parks, it was on me in a flash. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> I get better service in my back garden. He used to say, "Sorry, Tom." <laughs> In goalkeeper training, we're very competitive. Uh, and that's how people obviously accuse us of being slightly strange and indifferent. But we drive our own sessions, like mm. we said before. But against that, everyone's got their own skill set. So you're looking at other people going, I can't do that. I need to be able to do that. And you constantly are evolving your own game to... As you get older, I'm, I read the game better than a young one mm. would. And they're probably looking at me going, how did he know that was going to happen? And it's the same every day in training. Like I've worked with people that have unbelievable spring and I'm like, I'm never going to be able to do that. But how can I adjust my game to make those saves that they can? And it's you're constantly evolving. Yeah, and, and also you reach a point where you go, well, this is my my strength. This is, this is where I do best. And so you play the game to your strengths and you don't put yourself in the positions where you're going to expose your weaknesses. It's a bit like a tennis player running around the backhand or wherever, you know, in order to hit his, because he's got a great forehand. So it's a, a question of understanding what you're good at and what you're not so good at and playing to your strengths. Can we talk gloves? This is Matt Smith, and this is the glove review on the Yours Mine Away podcast. Uh, yeah. How have they evolved from your playing career to coaching career and throughout? When, when I played, we. We, we really looked forward to dry days because you'd spit on your hands. And that was the best this way. This back in the day with no gloves. And then what you had was the Peter Benetti cotton ones when it was wet. Wait, before that you said no gloves. No gloves. No gloves. But the, the, the foreign goalies, they always seem to have these like leather. If you look back at Le Levy Ashin, the black octopus, he had these black gloves on and all that. And you'd see the South Americans and they would have these gloves. So they, they didn't really come into things until about late, late 70s. So um, what I used to do with the kids at, at Arsenal and Tottenham when they were learning was I would uh, ask them to take their gloves off and I would touch the gloves to the back of the net, step back six yards and volley the ball in the net. And they'd go, what are you doing that for? I'd say, I'll do it again. Just watch carefully. Tell me what you see. Volley it back in the net. And i go, the gloves didn't save it. <laughs> and they'd go, yeah, they didn't. And... Uh, <laughs> They loved it because he said, oh, do that gloves thing again, will you? <laughs> and, then, and then what I had to do, I said, right, 
we're going to start pre-season without gloves because I really need you to understand where your fingers and your thumbs go. And sometimes the gloves can artificially help you. And you really need to get that sensitivity because your hands are going to be your main tool as you grow older. And so we did that. And um, they really enjoyed it because they they understood then that the, the gloves were... Not as important as us. Not as important. And I said, in the laws of the game, I said... Does a goalie have to have gloves? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. The goalie only has to have a different colour shirt. That's it. You don't have to have gloves. Is that right? Yeah, you know, so it was all of that. So in the end, what I used to say to the, the kids was, look, find a glove that you're happy with, but look after them. And so we do lessons on how you wash them and all that and how you dry them. Work. Yeah. Don't leave them in the boot of your car because they stink <laughs> after about six weeks. And I said, what you need to do is when you get fresh pair is your then match pair become your, your training pair. And you, what you've got to look after them uh, for is that they will last a bit longer and not cost so much. But I do not want to hear that your mum is washing your gloves. You've got to do it yourself. And uh, j- just look after them. And they've, they've developed out of all recognition. But the other thing that's developed which really needs you to have gloves is uh, the type of ball. So they move all over the place and they all have different textures. And sometimes the Premier League might bring out a different type of ball. And you think, God, this is holding water on the surface of the ball. And you think, oh, my goodness, I'm going to need a different type of glove here to to deal with it. So a lot of people don't realise that. They don't think that. We talked about this on the Aaron Ramsdale episode with him that I think in one season he played five different balls in different teams. And it varies so much. Mm even just your own performance in your gloves, the confidence yeah. that you have in your gloves. And I've done it in the past. I've changed gloves for certain conditions, mm-hmm. but I've changed gloves for certain balls. Yeah, so Premier League, they'll uh, play Nike and then they've got a League Cup game and it's a mitre ball. And they're, like you say, they're different. So you've got to try and adjust during the week and then get back to the Nike ones. And so what we try and do with our training, we break it down so it's really simple. The ball comes at you either along the floor off the floor or through the air. And what I'm going to do now is vary how it might come at you so that when it does, you're ready. You're ready. And you do that every single day, just like, you know, Rafa Nadal will be doing his backhands and forehands. The goalie needs to have the ball in his hands and it has to be repetition. It hasn't got to be a finishing practice where he might touch the ball once every 20 minutes. He needs to have that ball in his or her hand so they develop that confidence that they can handle it. It's just literally. repetition that helps massively with goalkeeping. The, the more and more you see the same movement from a player or a striker, mm. the more and more you pick up their movements and what they're trying to achieve from it, even if it's the way they swing their arm when they kick a ball, the mm. way their shoulders turn if they're trying yeah. to reverse the ball. Yeah. These things, that it, the more experience and the more you see it, the quicker you pick it up and the better a goalkeeper you become. Mm. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's really weird because about um, what would it be about twenty years ago, uh, there's a boy that they're going to release at Arsenal, and they said, "Look, um, this boy's a centre forward, but um, we don't think he's going to be for us. But he's not bad in goal. Would you mind working with him for six or seven weeks before the end of the season?" I said, "Well, only if he is committed. He's got to want to do it anyway." So he came along, and he was. Very capable, and you thought, goodness, he's not bad. 
having not been a goalie, knew what to do, picked up stuff really well. But the thing he loved doing most was serving the ball. And I said to him, well, you want, fancy being a goalie? And he was too well-mannered to answer. And um, But he did really well, and his name was Harry Kane. And, <laughs> what, and, a, what a name drop that is. And I am absolutely convinced that because intuitively he knows goalkeeping, he knows, because football's a game of opposites, isn't it? He knows what the goalie doesn't like. You watch him. He shoots before you get set. He shoots round players, through players. He knows, he knows when you're off balance. He presses you on the back pass. He is the goalkeeper's worst nightmare because he's got this searing football intelligence and because he, was, he, knows, he knows goalkeeping. And so what Mark is saying is if you can get into the head of a, understand how a centre-forward is thinking or a, or a winger, then half the job is anticipation and putting yourself in the right position. And and that's about being a student of the game and not just coming along and winging it. Uh, a lot of people don't realise how much preparation goes into a, a, the goalie's game. And um, they undervalue that. And, and sometimes it's because we've not trained our coaches well enough to understand goalkeeping to think it's someone else's job and they really need to understand that. And, and the other thing that they don't get is they don't get the psychology of it. You know, if you say to a goalie, a manager says, plenty of confidence today, Mark. Mark goes, what do you mean? What On a plenty of confidence. What are you talking about? When really what the goalie wants to say, Mark, you have been absolutely monumental in training. You look like a man, man. No one's going to get past you. You go, yeah, they're not. And you go out there feeling like Chest Goliath, you know. But just those casual, stupid remarks like plenty of confidence. Concentrate on your kicking today. What? What are you saying that for? All the way you're just chipping away at my confidence and my concentration. That's not the way to do it. You really need to understand how you get the best out of people. And it's not doing that. But psychologically, that's where you helped everyone, that, that, that age group, and especially that you made us feel like we were going to be unstoppable, that we knew what we were doing on a Saturday and come that game that we'd worked so hard to keep the ball out of the net, but he had then filled our shoulders full and we went out there, chest held high, chin high, and we was like, no one can beat us. Alex has told us that. Mm. And that was like one of the biggest things that even if you did something wrong, you was like, well, I'll just improve that and then I know what I'm good at, I'll go back to doing what I'm really good at. Yeah, and running on the pitch like Manuel Neuer. He's no shrinking violet, is he? You know, and then look at that and say, look at his demeanour. Even though he might be having bowel movements as he's running on the pitch because he's so, <laughs> he's so nervous. He didn't, he didn't show that. You know, he goes on the pitch and you go, oh, yeah, we're not going past him today. You know, it's, it's almost like a, an aura you build around yourself. It's a presence. Mm. Uh, they are, it's famous that people go, our oh, goalie needs to have presence. But that's just a confidence in his own ability to do his job. Yeah, but it's also is how you walk, how you present yourself. So the minute you walk into the building, whether you're a kid or a senior pro, are you exuding energy? Because people like that. So if you're a person who exudes energy, you go, what if I just feel like it's like electric fire, you know? <laughs> that was good, I like that. He's made me, Ooh. and um, And sometimes you have to do that and you have to cultivate that. So when you walk in a room, people go, well, hang on, he's here, even though you, you haven't seen him yet. You know, you've, he's walked in the room or she's walked in the room and you, you feel their presence. It's something that you can cultivate. That was also saying uh, that you've just reminded me of there, but our appearance, Alex always made sure we washed our gloves, washed our boots, because when we went out there, we had to feel the part and look the part. And that was a massive thing that I don't think that, Young kids today totally appreciate. They they go out there, gloves are dirty. Well, how, how much prepared. of this stuff is included in sort of the books and the DVDs? Is, is that level of detail in there? It's, it's difficult to get that because you might look back in times when you were a kid at school, someone who had inspired you. You Time, time might have elapsed and you might have forgotten their name or, or, or what they said to you. But what you never forget is how you made them feel. So it's so important that you know, that that was a great top hand. You were just millimetres away from that. That kind of um, approach to what we do. Too many coaches are fixated with a million and one practices. We all know the words to my way, but we can't all sing it like Frank Sinatra, can we? <laughs> and, and, and so what the book probably doesn't get is, is what you bring 
with that expertise and with that knowledge and with that sequential learning and all of that. And one of the things I used to really advocate for was separate protected time for me and the goalies so I could build up on all of that so that they weren't just being used as cannon for and being hammered and, and what they were getting was what they needed to be a better goalie. And a lot of that presence. I remember once Lee Butcher uh, came into the ball court at, um, at Highbury yep. and I was working with someone else and I saw him out of my corner of my eye. I said, Lee, come here, please. And he came and across. I said, go out and come in and take the doors off the hinges so I know you've come in. And <laughs> I made him run back out and come in like <laughs> desperate dad, come through the door. And I said, that's presence. That's what you've got to, and that's what you've got to cultivate. And uh, sometimes it's an act. You know, you look at these great actors that you might see at the West End and all that, and they come, oh, you're brilliant. You don't realise they've been sick in the dressing rooms, you know, before with nerves and all of that kind of stuff. You've got to kind of convince people that you are unbeatable. But as a coach then, is that your responsibility to to give them that self-pride and make them feel like that? Because Absolutely. a lot of that stuff isn't really coached anymore. It's more what we can get out of a session, the different types of equipment we can use, and everyone's trying to reinvent the wheel that is goalkeeping. Well, you're driving this Lamborghini... And That's a you, Lamborghini. Well, well, a Lamborghini it's a, or a Rolls Royce. Then I'll talk about your car, your Bentley. All right, came on. So you, you're driving your Bentley. It's going to run out of fuel eventually. So when when the goalies come to my sessions, I refuel them. But my fuel is confidence. Confidence comes before competence, always. Otherwise, you won't try things. So the first thing I do is believe in them with our energy. And with that, you know, honesty. And they go, right, okay. And then at the end of the session, they're leaving not just more competent, but more confident. Because sometimes the weekend game has knocked it out of them. Someone might have said something, another parent, other players. And you've got to say, look, you've got to be able to stand up for yourself and not take it. Why should you? What do they know? They're not going to be on mastermind, on the art of positioning. They're not going to be doing a class assembly on saving on one-on-one -on -one situations. And so you've got to try and instill that self-belief and, and, and also never to let them lose the obsession for self-improvement. And the love of the game will sustain them. So it's those kind of lots, isn't it? Yep. Love of the game, obsession for improvement, technique and keep working on that talent. And the S is the self-belief. You know, it's really important that you instill in that them. And that's the coach's job to do that. Otherwise, what are you there for, in my opinion? No, you've still got so much enthusiasm for the, this sort of stuff, though, haven't you? Well, why wouldn't you, isn't it? You love it, that, I that just, but you, but like, that from, just come from as... that sort of stuff, you've passed that on through the rest of the people you've worked with. Yeah. If you remember, we used to say, Mark, excellence comes as standard here. That's the standard, excellent. So if you get any better than that, well, you're talking about brilliance. I mean, perfection. You aim for the... The sun, but you might not get there, but you might get to the moon, which ain't bad, is it? And and so that that was it. This is your standard. This is what you're going to expect of yourself and what you hoped it would rub off on their best of life. I used to have some parents come to me, can you have a word with so-and-so? What for? He's had a really bad science report. He's doing his GCSE. I said, hang on a minute, I mean, he's goalie coach. Yeah, but he listens to you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know what? I've got my own sons. I've tried to teach them how to bowl and cricket, the coil and all that. What are you talking like that for, Dad? I said, what? You know, I'm teaching you. I'm not listening. But they would listen to someone else. So I had to go and speak to him and say, look, have you not got high standards in everything you do? And then the lip starts going and all that. I said, what's happened? He said, well, a bit of a personality clash with the head of science and all that. I said, well... Are you going to sort this out? Because this could affect your football. And so we had a, you know, an honest chat. And then a couple of weeks later, I said to the dad, "How's the um, science going?" Big thumbs up. <laughs> and and that's it. You, you know, what you learn in football should cascade into the rest of your life because you're about humility, respect, hard working, you know, being persistent, never giving up, and those other things permeate in the rest of your life. That's what you're hoping. And uh, they become a better person as well as a better, a better footballer. And that's for everyone. It's not just for the ones who've made it in the professional game. So even if you're going to have a trialist and they're just going to be there three or four weeks, 
make it a brilliant time for them and make them remember it with great fondness that it was something that they really enjoyed and something that they learned a lot from. Not every kid is going to be a Tony Adams or a Ledley King. Someone They're going to be released sooner or later, aren't they? So whilst they're there, you're just trying to make this uh, a really fantastic experience which holds them instead for other things that they do. And you look at Harry Kane when he was released by Arsenal, for example. His mum and dad were brilliant, Pat and Kim. What do you want to do, son? Well, I just want to show them. And so he went away. And he, on that, he turned adversity to advantage. And he became obsessed with improvement. And you watch, every time Spurs play Arsenal, he scores. And every Desperate time score, yeah. he does that jump, and you go, take that Arsenal, let me go, <laughs> when I was nine years old. So it, it kind of, and, and it's a brilliant example because it, it shows that even though a club might release you, it's just their opinion. And um, what you've got to do is say, well, how can I make this experience make me a better player and work for me rather than crush me? You know, And I think that's really important. It's a brilliant lesson in life. Because we all have disappointments. It's how you bounce back that counts. Right, Alex, I'm going to have to end the episode here. But what I will say is thank you so much for coming in. Uh, you've been incredibly insightful and educational. But not only that, you've had a, a massive bearing on my own career and to where I've got to today, still playing 19 years as a professional. And I know you don't like to take any credit, but I would love to say thank you. And well, just a plain and simple you, you've guided me to where I've got to today and uh, you've played a, a huge fundamental part in getting me on this journey and the the human being I am, not just a goalkeeper. Well, thank you. And, and I just want you to remember that every Saturday I check who's playing and at five to five I'm following the results. So no pressure there, Mark. <laughs> just one more thing before we go. We have a lot of uh, young goalkeepers, uh, different standards listening into the show. Is there any one-liner in particular that you would send out to the uh, the younger goalkeepers out there? Well, firstly, understand that the goalie is a part of the team, not apart from the team. So trying to develop all your all your skills, your receiving skills as, as well. And then to what I did when I was a kid growing up, we didn't have any videos or coaching books and not much was on telly. So from my bedroom window, I could see the floodlights of St. James's, but I grew up a Sunderland fan, so... I'd go to Roger Park one week, St. James is the next. Jimmy Montgomery was my hero, but Gordon Banks was my proper hero. And um, what you do is try and look at them and say, well, I can do that. And you'd practice it in the park. And then you'd get other goalies come to St. James's like uh, Bob Wilson, whose big thing was diving your feet. And uh, I never knew, I never thought I'd be his friend all those years later, but you learn from that. And then Pat Jennings would come in. Pat was one of those goalies who just changed the game. Every now and again in a generation you get a player who comes like a Croy for something and the game changes. And Pat did that, saving with his feet and the reactions. So I would say to young young people, watch the game, be a student of the game and be informed and inspired by the top people because that one day that could be you. Amazing. Great. Amazing. Right. From... Us at the Yours Mine Away podcast. It's been myself, Mark Howard, the host, uh, with producer Ben. This has been an amazing, insightful and educational episode. Uh, I hope you all have learned a lot from the amazing man that is Alex Welsh. Thank you very much. Make sure you please go like and subscribe and follow us on all socials to stay up to date during the week. Uh, thanks again. See you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.